Good morning, church. My name is Jamie, and I am one of the leaders here at Training Life Church. Um, and right now, we are in the sermon series called Embracing Exile. And this morning, we get to talk about going from success to suffering. So the first thing I want to get us to think about is to really just bring yourself to the morning when you wake up. Have you felt that there are multiple concerns competing in your heart lately? Maybe when you wake up, your mind automatically shifts to something. Maybe your social sphere or your to-do list or something you want to accomplish. Maybe your mind is racing and you can't seem to start obsessing over getting your life in order. It seems a little subtle, and maybe it's just a few productivity videos here, a few articles on goal setting. But what I want to ask you is, is your life obsessed with success? Here are some questions to evaluate. Are you dissatisfied with where you are, constantly analyzing your current state in a position of wanting? Are you feeling discontent? Maybe you're feeling a lot of anxiety. Are you in a mindset of just a little bit more? Perhaps this feeling that you have, this attachment to your progress and successes brings slavery more than freedom. The more your aim is success in a worldly sense, the more of a slave you become to the system of the world. Guys, I really feel like we have become slaves obsessed with progress and success. Even in the church, the mentality of betterment, of improvement, of productivity has become our focus. But what if success isn't what we really think it is? What if success looks like loss? What if success in the kingdom of God is actually suffering? To fail and suffer in this world is actually to succeed in the kingdom. Once again, that is to fail and suffer in this world is actually to succeed in the kingdom. And the more we realize this, the more we will experience joy. So for many years in my life, I was a flautist and I played the flute competitively. Uh, for I think almost like 15 years or something like that. And I would go to competitions. I would practice. Um, I wasn't really good at practicing, but uh, it was something that I was constantly thinking about. And it was about success, the success of being the best of the best of the best. And I was driven to perfection. And everything that I did with music needed to be better and better and better. And Um, then when I was in school, um, while I was playing the flute and really getting into the music industry, I had many failures while I was in university, um, that caused me to have to drop out of school. During that time, I actually met Jesus and, What ended up happening was I lost a lot. I lost a lot of my identity because I have found my identity in music for so long, but I also lost competitiveness and success. It shifted music for me, actually, um, and it shifted for the better. Um, My failures and losses 
in music allowed for the real thing to surface. And for the first time in my life, after I had left music school, music was for expression and for art. This is a really good example of the meaning behind shifting success to suffering. How many of us are distracted by success so much we can't experience the fullness of the abundant life because our mentality of success is found in this world and not in the kingdom. Success in the context of the kingdom is one of losing and emptying. But how many of us have confused the world's idea of success for kingdom success? Guys, even Peter, who wrote this book that we're about to go into, who followed Jesus for three years, even he tried to rebuke Jesus and keep him from following the will of the Father. And Jesus looked at Peter and said that he was a hindrance. How many of us are currently operating as a hindrance to following the will of the Father because our mindset is not on thinking of suffering as success, but following successes of this world? If we stopped measuring our successes the way the world looks at successes, just a little bit more, more this, more that, what would our measurements for success be if it was suffering? Maybe it'd be sacrifice. Maybe it'd be generosity. Maybe it'd be people choosing Christ and laying down their dreams for the kingdom of God. Maybe we'd be mobilizing and sending out kingdom disciples. In the kingdom of God, there will be suffering. Because the more you press into the kingdom of God, the more like Jesus you become. Which means the more offensive you become. Being a Christian comes with bearing the image of God, which means we bear an otherness. We become an otherness. And our very being of looking like Jesus challenges this world. And the world will reject and hate anything that challenges itself. This is hard. We need to acknowledge the difficulty of what this passage is saying, but I also want you to hear the message of the joy and the blessing that is threaded throughout this section as well, because although Jesus suffered greatly and he suffered deeply in that suffering, he accomplished the ultimate success giving us all freedom to live in a covenantal relationship with the Father, one that is intimate and loving and beautiful and close. And so Peter begins by addressing us as his beloved, reminding us of the intimacy with God and with one another that we share. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What trial is this? When you hear fiery trial, what comes to mind? What does this even look like? When I think of the fiery trial, I think of fire. 
and how um, with gold, it goes to the furnace, right? And it gets refined. And the fiery trial burns away at impurities and faultiness. And I wonder if this trial is really burning away at aspects of ourselves that are weighing us down, aspects of ourselves that are keeping us from following Jesus. Could it be that the trial that they are referring to is a test of allegiance, a test of belonging, a trial of asking yourself, who do I live for? Do I live for myself? Do I live for the approval of my parents? Do I live for the approval of others? Or do I live for Jesus? At times we think a fiery trial needs to be something momentous, something obvious. And perhaps the trial is a test of faith in subtle distractions of day-to-day life. Perhaps the trial is a test of your faith in the face of disagreements and confrontations from those around you. Perhaps the trial is a test of your faith in the day-to-day decisions where you have to decide to honor God or follow this world. But how could we embrace the trials that will strengthen our faith if we don't even realize we're in one? Because we're so caught up in the subtlety of it. This verse says that we should not be surprised by it. And so church, I encourage you to open your eyes and see the trial and not only see what it is, but expect it, expect the trial. And you will discover that it will not only test your faith, but it would strengthen it. Because every time you say no to distractions, every time you respectfully and gently disagree, every time you choose to honor God, you are strengthening your faith, choosing to shift your allegiance to Jesus. And then Peter says, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Sometimes we think suffering needs to look like martyrdom. And so because of that, we just ignore what it means to share in Christ's sufferings altogether. We just brush past this section. But guys, I want to open your eyes to think of Christ's sufferings deeply because they were deep. Christ's suffering was found ultimately in the rejection by the very same people he came to love and serve. The people he came to give everything to rejected him. And that loss, that suffering is found in rejection. Rejection. Does this seem familiar to you? Have you been rejected for following Jesus? Is it unbearable to be rejected? I know it's uncomfortable. Many of us choose to say nothing most of the time. Some of us go as far as to agree with things that are contradictory to righteousness so that we can avoid rejection. But if our avoidance of this discomfort causes us to lose our life in Jesus, is it really worth it? Who is your allegiance to, this world or Jesus? 
Should we live for the acceptance of this world or for the love of our Father? Because for us to share in his suffering is to continue to sacrifice, to continue to love, to serve, to give everything to those around us, regardless of their acceptance and their love towards us. We live to love and to serve sacrificially, regardless of reciprocation, regardless of results, regardless of their reviling, their rejection and their persecution, because we love not for ourselves, not for our pride, not for what we get out of it, but for the kingdom of heaven and for Jesus to be glorified so that they can taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus is very open about this life of following him and the suffering that comes with it. In Matthew 16, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? And what shall a man give in return for his soul? Rejection, reviling, persecution. This is part of the call of following Jesus. If we're to follow Jesus, then we are to follow him while carrying our cross, denying ourselves and having complete abundance in him. To have true life, we must remove ourselves from carrying everything else and we must lay it all down to live and love for the sake of others. The more we try to preserve ourselves and our kingdoms, the more we lose. So what are your concerns? What occupies your mind? What is your dream? Is it something you can let go of? Something to release yourself from holding tightly to? What are you stuck to? We need to be satisfied with Jesus and then laying down our dreams and achievements that we have imagined for ourselves if they don't align with the will of the Father. We need to be sold out for Christ. We need to be living for the will of the Father. Nothing else, not the successes of this world, but the success in the kingdom. And then he says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Guys, I read this and right away I heard Jesus's voice. Back in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our insults, our burdens, our sufferings, it does so much more than just hurt us. 
it blesses us. They become a badge of honor. These are things that we get to carry with joy because it blesses us. Jesus himself said it, that we are blessed when we suffer in this way. He calls us to rejoice because our treasure is not found here, but eternally with him. We are exiles living in a world where sensuality, passions of the flesh, lawless idolatry is encouraged and celebrated. And like it says in 1 Peter 4, 4, it says, the world will malign you because you are different. Because you exist in such a way that it challenges it. They will slander you, reject you, revile you. But there's hope. The spirit of God, of glory and God rests upon you. Sometimes I find we're just so focused on what we see right in front of us. We have a hard time living for the eternal. We have a hard time living for the bigger picture. But we need to be setting our hopes and our minds on things above. And remember that we are exiles living here, but not belonging here. The truth is that the spirit of the glory and God rests upon you and your reward is great in heaven. In eternity with him, when you are persecuted, rejected and reviled. But when we don't focus on the insults and the rejection, but focus on all that we gain in Christ, suddenly the world's idea of suffering becomes our richness, our fullness, our abundance, and our success. And then Peter says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Peter is reminding us that we are not glorifying suffering for suffering's sake, but glorifying God. That our suffering as a Christian has new meaning when suffering for the kingdom's sake. We should not live in shame, but give God all the glory for suffering in, for his kingdom and his glory alone. However, to suffer through evil doing and wickedness is not only meaningless, but it can be quite damaging. The consequences of evil and wickedness could very well be suffering which means we need to make sure we don't confuse suffering for consecration. Suffering in of itself does not make us holy. There's a quote here by Thomas Merton that Mike sent me, um, and I'd like to share a snippet of it. There, it's, a, it's a bigger quote, um, and it's so powerful, so I would encourage you to look up this quote um, and everything else that he says around it, but this one part I feel really applies to this section, and it says... Suffering is consecrated to God by faith, not by faith in suffering, but by faith in God. Some of us believe in the power and the value of suffering, but such a belief is an illusion. Suffering has no power and no value on its own. It is valuable only as a test of faith. Then Peter says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do, do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, 
what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Guys, judgment is a time of clarity, a time to clearly see the truth of the heart, a time um, of recognizing what is real. Are you a man after God's own heart or are you a wicked man? Judgment is often seen as something scary. I'm not going to lie. Every time I see passages like this, it makes me nervous. But maybe we should ask ourselves, why does it make us nervous? Why am I afraid? What am I hiding from Jesus? What am I afraid to be revealed and to be seen? Because as the household of God... As children of God, whose concerns should only be of the business and the will of their father, we should not be concerned about passing the test. If our concerns are the kingdom and the will of the father, then no matter what this world deems to be good and what looks plainly to the eye, the judgment of God will reveal the truth which is that suffering for the kingdom's sake is successful in the eyes of God. So how do we move and shift our hearts to seeing suffering as success? Well, I have a few questions here that I think if you think about these questions deeply and take your time with them, it would help evaluate your heart. The first question is, what does it mean for you to be successful today? When you look at this question, I want you to answer honestly and be frank. Could be anything that comes to your mind when, it, when you think of success. What do you see? Be honest here. Then, number two, what is your measurement for success? This is great because it shows kind of where our understanding of success came from. Is it about fullness is it safekeeping? Is it preserving? Does it constrict you and limit you from following Jesus? Or is it sacrifice and generosity? Is it willing to lay down everything for the kingdom's sake? Does it release you for your kingdom calling, which is to make disciples? And number three, if Jesus suffered greatly and we are to follow in his ways, the question that we should ask lastly is how far are you willing to suffer for the kingdom of God? What is the hardest aspect of your life to sacrifice and suffer and why? Ask yourself, why is this so hard? Why is it so hard to release these things? Then Peter says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Guys, there is one area in, in the scriptures that I thought of right away when I saw this, this verse. And it says, And he withdrew from about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony. He prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. That's Luke 22. 
Guys, Jesus entrusted himself to the creator in this moment. He gave up everything because he trusted the Lord. Jesus was in agony when he prayed in the garden before he was led to the cross. And there was a moment in his suffering where it was so extreme, he was sweating blood. And yet he chose to die. He chose to suffer for you. His suffering was not for himself, but it was for us. Jesus gave up his divine rights and power and laid it down for us. On the cross, all of the weight of the sin fell on Jesus, and then he conquered the grave. He rose again, and his love was so deep that it removed the burden and shifted the meaning and significance behind what success is. May we press into rejection and suffering for the sake of the kingdom in order to live successfully. And when we suffer because of Jesus, we will partake in his glory and divine nature. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you chose to suffer for us and that in that suffering, so much success has occurred. And so Jesus, I pray that we would just lay it all down, Lord, lay it down before you, show you that we are giving all of ourselves to you and we are willing to be rejected by this world if it means that they will know you and taste and see that you are good because it is not about ourselves. It is about you and your glory and about them to know and love you, Lord. We pray for all of Toronto and all of um, the world that they would all come to know you and see that you are good and that their lives would be transformed. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.